one of the three things that we know about the bridge jump ruler? Bitch. None. Ruler. Hey, there we go. By public education, UNL students, by that hard time with them, you guys are talking. <laughs> All right. Here's why it's, you want to know what's shocking? That a rich young ruler would find himself at Jesus' feet, a middle-aged rabbi, at his feet, asking, how do I find eternal life? You want to know why that's shocking? It's shocking because, think about it. If you're rich, this man is rich, which means he can get anything that he wants. He can literally buy whatever he wants, anything that he desired, he can have. He can go get. He can leverage his money to get anything he wants in any way that he wants. He's young, which means he has zeal, ambition, a whole life ahead of him. He can do all the things that a person has to do. And last, but maybe most importantly, he's a ruler. He has authority that he can leverage. Like he has relationships that he can use, influence, fame, honor, all of it. Which means anything that this man wants, he can literally get. So it's shocking that a rich, young ruler could find himself face first on the ground before a middle-aged rabbi thousands of years ago saying, how do I have the child? How did he come to that? How on earth did he come to that? Well, imagine something for me. Imagine that you're the rich young ruler. Whatever town we're in, it doesn't specify necessarily. Matthew doesn't tell us. But whatever town you're in, there's this t-shirt. And every single time he's in your tent, the whispers just start to flutter all over the tongue at his back. Why? Well, you remember that guy who's, who's been begging on the corner on that for decades. He's what? Remember the lepers? Extend out to the back of the synagogue. The blind are seeing. The paralyzed are walking. Test the teachers. And every time he comes to town, the crowds just come along. And we can assume from the rich young ruler's question, that he has some background of listening to Jesus, which means in those crowds, I would assume that this man was there. And I think more than the, more than the miracles and all the stuff that he saw Jesus do, he was listening to what Jesus said. And he heard this teacher preach about living water that never goes through. He heard him preach about light of the world that the darkness can't overcome. He heard him preach about resurrection and life and eternal life. Eternal life. And what I would propose to you, that the only thing that can bring a rich young ruler to the point where he's on his face before Jesus, is that he's realized what people have been realizing for thousands of years that have money and youth and time, is that there's never enough money to prevent you from the market crash. There's never enough youth to stop you from dying. And there's never enough power and influence and fame and honor that can guarantee that you're actually known and loved and accepted. Right. It doesn't exist. And so as he had everything and constantly figured out that it left him empty, I imagine every night him laying in his bed, empty, with the words of Jesus echoing in his, in his mind, the eternal the eternal the eternal lights. The teacher told me I'd be out of eternal lights. The first truth that we need to understand to find the answer to that question is that the world can't satisfy. And the world can't satisfy. Any, I hear we have some football players here. Yes? Yeah. Yeah. You're? <laughs> love that. I don't quite know what it means. I love it. You're? Who said you're? You're? Come on now. Yeah. 
I'm going to that. I will be back. Who's seen the, the Johnny Football documentary? Oh, cool. Okay. Again, if you don't, if you're not into it, whatever. Just come check back in a couple minutes. Okay. Here's. If you want to know about it, Johnny Manziel was the first ever freshman to win the Heisman Trophy. And he was electric. He got the nickname Johnny Football. It was in 2012, he played for Texas A&M, and if you ever watched him play, I mean, it was insane. It was like playing a different sport. He was just insane. And so he, he like, exploded into popularity. Like, the documentary talks about he would go to parties, and, like, Drake would be like, I can't believe you're here. Like, everybody wanted to be around Johnny Football. He was insane. He was the most popular thing of the time. Like, everybody loved him. And then he went to the NFL. He was drafted in the first round. And his signing bonus, after signing bonus, has $8 million in his pocket. He's the rich young baller. And here's what's shocking. In the documentary, just sitting there talking about it, and he said, I had $8 billion, everybody wanted to see, and I've never been more empty in my life. We said, I go into my room, I close the blinds because it was all darkness, and I could not imagine how I could not be, how I could possibly be this empty with all the things that I had. Now, if you guys have ever heard the saying before, money can't buy happiness, but then the follow-up kind of to me, the kind of serious saying, I'd sure like to try, you know? Where you're like, okay, yeah, eight million, it screwed up Johnny. But, hmm, did anybody Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, I could be that bad, you know? What could eight million hurt? <laughs> Here's what I'm asking you. Let the rich young ruler and Johnny Genzel pay the tax for you. They've done it. They've lived it. They've paid the dumb tax already to know that the world can't satisfy You could have all the money, all the influence, all the zeal and adventure and passion, and it still won't satisfy Which leads to the second thing that this man needed to learn and gets into our conversation. So he says, teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And Jesus said to him, now I want you to listen to this reply. It's like, Seems a little dismissive and confusing from Jesus, but it's wildly relevant for us today. He said, why do you ask me about what's good? There's only one who's good. If you enter eternal life, keep the commandments. Seems kind of weird. It seems like this guy's actually coming and asking a genuine question, how do I have eternal life? And Jesus says, why are you asking me about what's good? There's only one who's good. Keep the commandments if you want to enter eternal life. Seems dismissive, but here's what I think Jesus is doing. He's holding in on one word of this man's question. What does the rich young ruler come to ask Jesus? Teacher, what good the must I do to have eternal life? And how does Jesus respond? Why do you ask me about what's good? There's only one who's good. He's trying to look at this man and shake him and say, You're coming to me, saying the word good like you know what it means. So you have no idea. I believe that Jesus understood that the rich young ruler was a member of the world's most dominant and largest religion. And it's the largest religion in the United States, hands down. The largest religion in Minnesota, no doubt. The largest religion in St. Thomas, St. Gates, Hamlet, before it's the question, without the definition. Whatever, yep, there is that mess. <laughs> without a doubt. And it wasn't Christianity, it wasn't Islam, or Judaism, or Confucianism, or Taoism, or Buddhism, or atheism, or agnosticism. This man's religion was that he was good. You're like, no, that doesn't make sense. 
No religion about being good. Yes, there is, and they're disguised as Christians and, Islam, and Muslims and Buddhists and, and atheists, and they walk all over. How do I know? It's because if you and I went to whatever campus you're at, and we asked 100 students spiritual questions, do you think you go to heaven? Are you a Christian? Do you believe in God? I promise you, I, bet my, I put my house on it, that at least 50% of them are going to have answers. Either, how do you go to heaven? By being, most probably, a good person. Do you believe in God? No, I'm good. Are you a Christian? Not a good one. All of them assume that we know what it means to be good. And Jesus is trying to look at the rich young ruler who says, what good thing must I do to have eternal life? And say, take that word. You don't know what it means. So let's talk about what it means to be good. And what you're going to see in every sentence for the next paragraph or so, is he's just taking the thermostat and turning up the temperature on what it means to be good. The man says in verse 18, he said, which ones, so which commandments? Because Jesus says, if you want to enter into our life, keep the commandments. He says, you shall not murder. Can't you the room? How do we feel? He said, all right, sweet. If not, I'm just going to move on anyway. Uh, you shall not commit adultery. Maybe there's people that are already feeling like a little uncomfortable with that one. You shall not steal. Crap. Like, ever downloaded music illegally? Okay, keep going. You shall not bear false witness. Never lie. He said, do not lie. Honor your father and mother. Every time they tell you to do anything, honor your father and mother. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Every person you ever meet, exactly how you want to be treated, treat them that way. And the young man said, all these I have kept. What do I still lack? Now, can we talk about the audacity of somebody to say, all these I have kept. But... How many people in this room just said to yourself, well, how that's a lot? Yeah, I stole the downloads of music. How bad is that? And what you just did is define good and bad. Mm -hmm. Well, like, man, I'm an idiot. Couldn't have all those? You need exactly. Check that out. Let's just look at what Jesus says, and it's kind of interesting. Jesus said to him, if you'd be perfect, again, there's that good standard again. He ups it, if you'd be perfect, go, sell what you possess, and give to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrow, for he had great possessions. That's pretty interesting, because Jesus doesn't go back and like debate with him of like really honor your mother and father every time they said no really every time don't steal every time then they'll ask you was this a product that you purchased for sale every time you did the right thing or does he you know he says keep the commandments anyone remember what the first commandment is you shall have no other gods like me I think he actually was debating with this guy. He said, fine. You say you haven't murdered, haven't stolen, haven't lied, lying, father, mother, great. Let's look at the commandments. Let's start with number one. And you have another God. Yourself. The mud. Given up. Falling. And the man walks away sorrowful. Why? Because he had great possessions. Why didn't he walk away sorrowful? 
I think because he realized the second truth. The first truth was that the world can't satisfy. And the second is that religion can't save. The world can't satisfy. And, the, and religion can't save. He figured out that nothing would satisfy him. And he comes to Jesus with his resume. And Jesus takes it says, thank you, and places it in the paper tray. He says, everything that you come to with your goodness, you don't understand that good means perfect. It's all company. Good, in the eyes of God, means perfect. So if we come to find our hope, our righteousness, our right standing with God, in the things that we do, I'll tell you what it takes. Keep the commandments. You say, which ones? All of them. How, how close? Perfectly. And what, the, what Jesus did to this man, and I want to believe what he would want to do with you, for many in this room tonight, is to open your eyes to see all the religion we try to hide behind to say that we are good, it all gets shredded before a holy God. And the standard is perfection. The world can't satisfy, and religion can't save. Now, if you look at the next piece, it says, So the guy's gone, and he turns to his disciples, and he says, Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. You ask, well, how difficult? This difficult. Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go to the eye of the needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Nobody has ever experimented with putting anything in the eye of the needle. It's impossible. So now we'll figure out what he meant by that. But here's why I think it might be a little bit comforting for all students. When you think about the rich young ruler, there's not a whole lot that we can relate with him. Except for Tony. You know, if you guys have been to Tony's house, you know, there's only one rich man in the room. Tony, the rest of us got nothing. You know? We're all young, so we got that going for us. And ruler, we don't rule over anything. If you live in the dorms, the cafeteria staff has authority over what you eat. You, there's no, you don't rule over anything. So we're like, great. The rich can't enter the kingdom of heaven. Hallelujah. You know? One less day I'll worry about it. But is that really what Jesus is saying? Is it? I argue with you, no way. If we look at everything he said up to this point, he's trying to define that good is perfect. He's not saying that the physical rich will never enter the kingdom of God. He's saying that the spiritually rich will never enter the kingdom of God. Yeah. What does it mean to be spiritually rich? Look at the rich young ruler. He came and said, look what I have to offer. Look at this righteousness. Will you take it? No. What actually it means to be brought into the kingdom of God is to come to Jesus and say, I've got nothing to offer. No goodness. No righteousness. I'm helpless. To come with wealth in your soul means to be turned away because you have great possessions. So I think there's only one question that can be left when we know that the world can't satisfy and religion can't save. And it's actually the exact question that the disciples asked. So he turns and he says, the whole will enter, the rich won't enter into the kingdom. And the disciples heard this. They were greatly astonished. And they said, well, who? Who then can be saved? They just listened to this standard. And they listened to perfection. And they said, who then can be saved. And Jesus says, with man it's impossible, but with God it's impossible. 
Now, let me try to say this as clearly as possible, and if you just forgive the whole sermon, but remember this, praise God, is that the Bible teaches clearly that God has created everything in the world, seen and unseen, and that he made you and he made all humans with value and dignity, no exception. The Bible also teaches that every single human has chased after the world to find hope and joy and satisfaction and meaning and righteousness, to find all those things that God made us for to find in him, we've spit in his face and looked all the other ways, rebelling against him all the way. And in our attempt to fix that problem, we run to try to be good. We run to our religion and our righteousness to try to cover and every person without exception has sinned against the holy God and is going to be separated from his presence forever. But God did not let sin and death have the final word. But he sent his son. God came to earth in the person of Jesus and bore the weight of your sin on the cross. He took all the sin that you committed on the earth and tried to cover with your religion, and he cleansed it with his blood. And he did not just live a perfect life and do miracles and then die on the cross for three days later. He rose, proving that he truly did and does have power over sin and Satan and death. And currently, in the present, he doesn't just promise eternity in the future, but a current, present, eternal life. The third truth that you and I need to understand. That if we don't, we'll never have a true, sufficient answer to how can we save. The first was the world can't satisfy. The second was religion can't save. But the third is that Jesus can do us. Every single desire that you and I have for adventure and life and satisfaction and affection and attention and hope all of it is found in Christ. And every need that we have to be cleansed and forgiven and redeemed and restored is found in His saving work on the cross. He can satisfy you because He hung the stars and painted the fields with grass. He's excited. And He can forgive you because He hung on the cross and painted the field with His blood. The world can't satisfy, religion can't save, but Jesus can be born. With man it's impossible, but with God you can find any sort of life in Christ. Now, I want to ask, as we look at the rest of the text, I want to ask three questions coming from that last truth. Three questions. After we learn that the world can't satisfy, religion can't save, but Jesus can do both. Three questions. The first one is how. How is it possible that he could give us life? And I want to point your attention to the end. If you look at verse 29... It says, and everyone who's left houses, or brothers, or sisters, or father, or mother, or children, or lands, for my name's sake, will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. You know what the inheritance is? It's when a rich person dies and leaves you the blessings of their work, their hard work. Here's the great irony of the story of the rich young ruler is he comes and he's talking to the richest ruler to ever walk the earth. The man who created everything and owns the universe and has the whole world in the palm of his hand. 
He's in control of everything, owns everything. And do you know what he did? He gave it all up for you as an inheritance. You notice how the rich young ruler comes and says, what do I need to do to have eternal life? And Jesus says that the people who have it will inherit it. They will actually be given eternal life from the benefits of his work. Eternal life is not something we get. It's, it's something we inherit from a very wealthy man who died to give us that gift. How could it be possible that you and I could have eternal life? Because we inherit it by the work of Jesus given to us through his death. Second question. Okay, so that's how it's possible. How do I give it? And here's what I want you to know. I know in this room that there are people right now that have lived and are currently living in the reality of the world that is satisfied. And they're currently trying to cover that up with their religion and their good works. And you hear this, and you're like, Jesus can do both. I want that. How do you get it? Anyone know how you trap a monkey? You know what I know? Not kill a monkey. You kill a monkey, you shoot the monkey, right? But, but there's an art. Okay, chill. Well, there's an art in trapping a monkey. So like, like trapping a monkey for a zoo. Like, how do the mon monkeys get in the zoo? They've got to be trapped. Well, here's how they do it. You take a bottle, that's by definition a bottleneck, and you put like melons in the bottom of the bottle. Okay? Monkey comes in, monkey grabs the melon, can't get its hand out of the bottle. This is genuine, this is legit. You know, but not now, please, but you can watch it on YouTube. Can't get its hand out of the bottle. But here's what's crazy. You know what's crazy? The monkey won't let go of the melon. Like, it's, you're lucky. If you drop the melon, you're free. But the monkey, <laughs> and, and the people, the people walk up, just take the monkey, and won't let go of the melon. Monkey drops the melon, monkey goes free. Monkey drops the melon, monkey goes free. Back to the Bible. Why am I telling you that? I want you to look at something. The whole, the whole conversation in Matthew 19 has been about like leaving something for someone else. Jesus says, leave your possessions. The guy won't do it. He walks away sorrowful. He had great possessions. He looks to the disciples and Peter says, we've left everything. And he says, everyone who's left, left what? Like houses and mother and father and land. Everyone who's left that will inherit treasures in eternity. It's all about leaving. I would argue that that's a word that the Bible calls repentance. Leaving something to follow Jesus. He says, leave the possessions to follow me. How I, I think repentance might best be described as you and I grabbing on the things of the world or our religion to find all of our hope and satisfaction and peace. It doesn't work, but we just don't let go. Here's the, the story of what Jesus is trying to say is, so you, if you drop that God, drop the thing, drop whatever it is, the money. Like Jesus is saying, you want to follow me? It means you don't live for the bank account anymore. Monkey drops the melon, monkey goes free. Like you want to follow me? It means you're going to look like a fool in front of your peers. You're not going to be cool anymore. You're not going to fit in. If you want to follow me, it means no longer treasuring above all else how your family views you. 
You want to follow me? It means your own life isn't worthy compared to following me. There is the wrath of God pouring down, like pointing at us for our sin. And we sit there and the offer of the gospel is open for us to take. And what it means is to leave that thing, drop it, and go freely into the arms of Jesus. How is it applied to your life? You drop those other gods, you go free. Run to the arms of Jesus and be embraced by them. How could it be possible that we are saved by Christ because we get to inherit, listen to this, you get to inherit eternal life, eternal satisfaction, eternal fulfillment, cleansing for all your shame and guilt. And what Jesus asks you to do is to repent and trust in him, to say, I don't want this as my God. And in the same motion, you are a good God. Now, my final question, I'd love to invite the band up, and I'll actually invite you guys to stand as we get ready to sing again. But my last question that I want to ask is what would this conversation have sounded like if the rich young ruler understood the three truths to get to the answer to this question? What would the conversation have sounded like if the rich young ruler actually understood that the world can't satisfy, religion can't save, so Jesus could give up? And as I thought about that, as I've been thinking about that, it hit me. I know exactly what the conversation would have sounded like. Because believe it or not, guys, my freshman year of college, November, is when I became a Christian. And what that meant is I had been searching for years all over the world to find satisfaction in sex and reputation and money and success and job security and all this stuff. I had been searching everywhere and could find it nowhere. And I had tried to cover it by going to church and reading my Bible and doing all the Christian stuff and figured out religion cannot say. And then when I learned that there's a God who can both satisfy and save, I had the exact conversation that the rich young ruler could have had with Jesus and that you can have with Jesus tonight. It goes something like this. Lord, what good works have you done that I might inherit eternal life? And he'd say, you're right to call me good. There's only one who's good, and I've kept all the commandments. And you'd say, Lord, which ones? And he'd say, I never murdered. I was never even angry. I never committed adultery. I never even looked with lust. I never stole. I never lied. I always honored my mother and my father. And every person I ever met, I treated them exactly as I would have wanted to be treated. And you say to him, Lord, is there anything that you still lack? And he's saying, nothing. I'm perfect. And yet, I gave it all up and gave it to the poor. You. You. He gave it to you so that you might have treasures forever. He said, follow me. The choice is yours tonight.